Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river. And really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. Uh, next couple weeks, uh, actually this week and next week, I'll be sharing with you from the book of Romans. Uh, we're going to continue our series. And then the uh, weeks after that, the next, following two weeks, Nick Intout, uh, the associate pastor here, will be um, leading you through Romans um, because I'm going to be gone. Uh, I'm actually doing something that um, uh, is not my favorite thing in the world, and that is going to Iowa. Uh, it is not good on vacation. I'm not there on vacation. I'm actually there uh, to be a part of something called the Synod of the Christian Reformed Church. I'm part of, we're part of a classes, part of an organization of churches here um, in this region. Um, goes all the way from down San Diego area to Las Vegas, as far um, uh, west as parts of Orange County. Uh, and we're part of this group of churches, and we together send four people to go to the Continental Synod, North American Synod. And this year, we're meeting at Dort College in Sioux Center, Iowa, and I am a delegate from our classes, along with three others, and I will be there for about nine days. Um, I, uh, there's a lot of stuff for us to do. This is a body that discerns the future of ministry for the denomination that we are a part of, the Christian Reformed Church. And we've got a lot of dialogue that we're going to spend time with, a lot of work that we are going to be doing. A lot of it seems overwhelming to me, so I ask for your prayers and encouragement to um, me and keep an eye on my family while I'm gone because I will be there by myself. Um, but uh, just pray that God does his work there um, through me and also through the others who are participating in this synod. Uh, then as we get into July, we're going to start another uh, interesting thing. We're actually going to do a sermon series on a theology of recreation and fun. What does the Bible have to say about recreation? What we do with our time, it's vacation time for many. Does God have a will for that? Does God have a plan or a purpose for how we spend free time? We're going to explore that together for a few weeks during the month of July. And then we're going to participate in some fun activities. The first Wednesday in July, we're sort of continuing legacy nights through the month of July. The first Wednesday night, we're going to have gather together for a pancake breakfast for dinner and then um, have a tricycle race. And it may sound ridiculous, but we got some big tricycles that can hold some big fellas and little kids too. And we'll have little kid tricycle races. We'll have big kid tricycle races and we'll have really big kid tricycle races. It's just a time for us to gather for some fun stuff. May take some pictures, make people look ridiculous. I'm sure there will be pictures floating around of me really quickly after that. And that's fine. It'll be fun. Good time together. Uh, then the third Wednesday, we're going to be gathering for a talent show. 
And if you have some fun things that you have to share, or maybe you know your husband plays a, a wicked nose flute and you want him to showcase that talent, let Beth know. Beth is going to be organizing that. So that's the third Wednesday. And the fifth Wednesday then is some Olympics and that we're going to be doing here. All of those three times we will have food here. So if nothing else, just to come fellowship, enjoy some fun together, and discover more even about what God has for our community because those are always times that we have conversation. I have conversations with people that I don't get to talk to really in any other places. So come, let's be a part of something that God has for us um, during the month of July, and then we'll finish up our Roman series moving into September, and I can't believe I'm already thinking about September of next year already. We haven't even started summertime. This morning, we're in Romans chapter 12. I encourage you to turn in your scriptures there. First eight verses, we, um, I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open. If you didn't bring your Bibles with you in the future, maybe you want to do that. Um, write down some notes. Be reminded of what God has for us in his word, even in years to come. I've had people come up to me at different times and say, hey, look, I have a note in the margin from the same passage that some person preached on in like 1982. And it's great to have sort of that legacy of learning and growing in our scriptures. So don't be afraid just to make a note in the margin of maybe something that God is teaching you even this morning. As we gather around God's word together, let's pray for his blessing, presence, and power for us today. God, you are good. We are grateful for your goodness. And we ask, Lord, that in your word this morning, you might transform us and move us and make us more and more who you call for us to be. I pray, Father, that our hearts and minds might be renewed and that we might be equipped to go out of here more fully and completely being able to serve you and see your kingdom grow. I pray this morning for people who might be here who do not know you, who do not acknowledge you as Savior and as Lord, that, Lord, you might move in their hearts and by your grace change in eternity for your plan and purpose and for your glory. Lord, invade us with your spirit that we might learn and grow. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus and God's people said together, amen. From Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse one. Therefore, and whenever you see the word therefore, you should always look before that. What's therefore? What is Paul writing in light of? Well, we have the great doxology of God's incredible greatness of his, his being more than we can think of or imagine. It also comes out of this mystery of Paul talking about the place of the Jews um, as part of the family of God. And then we get to this. Therefore, so in light of all this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of this mercy that he's just talking about, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. To not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. 
and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How are you different? And believe me, knowing some of you, some of you are really, really different. You may say that to me, and that's perfectly fine. I can accept that. I look in the mirror every day and wonder a whole lot of stuff. But not only how are you different and distinct, like in terms of even how your personality or your mindset might be a little bit different, but how are you different and distinct in light of the world around you? When we think about the world's mindset, if we think about the way that media or whatever it is, culture, uh, the way our, our nation sort of has a blueprint for what a life looks like, what drives you, what do you think about, what's your goals, what's your passions, how are you, how am I distinct and different from that mindset? Whether it be something like culture calling me to be greedy or pursue pleasure or experience or pursue whatever it is that culture might have me pursue. Uh, What is it that drives me differently and distinctly? When we see Paul here say the words, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, how do you live into a difference than the pattern of this world. What's different about you? And maybe it's hard for you to find something. If you were to walk through Stater Brothers and meet somebody that you didn't know, would it be obvious in five minutes of conversation that their life and your life are dramatically different and distinct? Or would you simply be an overlap of them? in your neighborhood, in your workplace? What's different or distinct about what motivates you, moves you, what your passions are, what your goals are, who you are? What's different? Because Paul is giving us a blueprint to difference this morning and calling us to that pretty powerfully. And if we're ignoring that call to distinctness and different differentness in the world that we live in, then we're losing sight of God's call on our lives. And right from the beginning of this section, Paul is making it clear why disciples of Jesus Christ do what they do, do why they are what they are. And that is gratitude. What does it say in verse 1? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, what? In view of God's mercy. God has given you his mercy. Paul talked about that at length just before the doxology, before this. We get all this mercy reminder of God. Without his mercy, we have nothing. So in view of that mercy, then you can go on and live. That's gratitude. 
Without God's mercy, you and I have nothing. So if we're going to live in view of it, we live in thanksgiving. We say, without you, Lord, I have nothing. With you, I have everything. I will live into the gratitude that you have offered up to me in Jesus Christ. Live thankfully. And then Paul gets into this other interesting idea. And it certainly is one of those things that if we read it and don't know scriptures or are not part of the church tradition, we might wonder, what does it really mean? It's this idea of offering your body as a living sacrifice. And in this world that we live in, the idea of becoming a living sacrifice certainly might seem strange. But remember that Paul is writing to people who would have a knowledge and understanding of the Old Testament. And what do we know about offerings? What do we know about sacrifices in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, an animal was offered in order to be in right relationship with God. We know that there would be animals that would be brought to the tabernacle or the temple to represent a family's sin, a sheep without blemish, or even a, a, a bull or birds or different things. And you can go back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and see God's law on how you offer up a sacrifice. And you would take the, the you put your hand upon that animal and that putting your hand upon that animal would transfer your sin from yourself to that animal. And then when the animal was sacrificed, then God's sin or God would receive your sin as a fragrant aroma when that sacrifice was burned. But now Paul is teaching to the Romans and to us that in Christ things are different. No longer is the blood sacrifice of an animal necessary. Now instead there is a sacrifice that is to be made but it's us. And there is still a dying going on but it's not a death to biological life. It's a death to self and our passions, our desires, the things that we want to our selfishness. Paul is calling us, the Spirit is calling us in this section in Romans to lose sight of our desires, passions, and what we want to do. And instead, as offering our bodies as living sacrifice, dying to that and living for Christ. Dying to self and living holy lives. And we've also said in the past here at the river that all of life is worship. You've heard me say it before. That when you go out of here, that your life is worship. Your workplace is worship. We've talked about a lot of things as worship. And Paul is affirming that here in this section. What does he say? He says... Let me see here. In the, uh, the middle of verse 1, it says this. To offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. What does it say next? This is your true and proper worship. So we might have the mindset that worship, as we define it, is when we come in here and Terry or Beth gets on the piano and Mark's going away in the drums and our guitarists are really jamming and we're grooving with the music. We love the song and we get that feeling of being in the Spirit's presence and that's worship. But what Paul is saying here is, no, that's worship and a component of it, but that actually fuels you for true and 
proper worship. And that proper worship is going out and offering your body as a living sacrifice. Dying to self and living in gratitude for God in all that you do. That's true worship. You and I want to be worshipers of Jesus Christ. We want to be worshipers of God for what he has done for us. And don't just say that you're a worshiper of God. Why? Because you come to church. But instead, you and I are worshipers of God as we go out and we live into his will, plan, purpose, calling on our lives. And Paul is certainly fleshing out what that calling is in the rest of the text this morning. And then he reminds us of our distinctiveness in this world. And we're called out of a worldly thinking and into a new mindset that gives us a more godly way of doing, well, everything. What does it say? It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Your mind being made new, made different, made like God's. And as it becomes more in tune with God's will, God's plan, God's purpose, we know what it is that he calls us to do. We know in everything. And let me ask you this question. Does God have a will for your life? Yes? Okay, if God has a will for your life, what part of your life does he have a will for? What's that? All of it. Okay? So does God have a will for what you wear? We okay with that? Does God have a will for how you and I drive home? Does God have a will for what groceries you buy? If we are seeing that God has a will for every part of our lives, then we have to include everything in our lives. Does God have a will for what color you paint your room? And I know that sounds really trite and really something, something silly even. But here's what I'm talking about. If I go into something, and I'm going to skip ahead here. If I go into something thinking that God doesn't have a will, and I just get into my own mindset. Let me give you an example. Every, uh, every year at the same time, I have a birthday. I don't know how that happens, but it does. Every year at the same time, it's September 1st. Put it on your calendar. I like gifts, cash especially. Knock yourself out. On my birthday, right around my birthday, I get a... Birthday card from Grand Rapids, Michigan. My parents don't send me money anymore. They apparently don't love me very much. But my, my, my in-laws do. I get a check every year from them. Chris and I both get checks on our birthday. It's a check for $50. And Kristen and I have a deal where on our birthdays, when we get a birthday money, we get to do whatever we want with it. We don't have to take the other out to dinner if we don't want to. We don't have to buy any. We don't have to put that in the pool for the bills. We can do whatever it is that we want with it. And if I am asking the question, does God have a will for every part of my life? Does God have a will for that birthday check? He does. We're going to say that, but do we enter into that? Let me tell you how it works when I get my birthday check oftentimes. I open up the birthday card, and I don't look at anything that's written because that's not important to me. I open up the check, find how much it is. Right? 
I open up the check, find how much it is, and I see 50 bucks. Score. What am I going to do with this $50? And I start going through my list of things. I could do this. I could get this. I could buy this. I could go and do this because Kristen never never wants to do this. Because this is for me, I can do whatever it is that I want. And the problem is, is that I do that in a good chunk of my life. And when we think about God having a good and perfect will for us, it changes the way I open up that birthday card. It changes the way that I drive home. It changes the way that I put on my clothes in the morning. It changes the way that I parent, that I'm married, that I'm a pastor in everything that I do. Because instead of being about Scott and what I want, it's about him and what he wants. Lord, what is it that you want me to do with this money? Now, it may include something that I really like. It may include instead giving it as an offering to his kingdom in some area. It may include something that I haven't even thought of because I'm not listening to God's will, but then I listen to him and I hear his calling and I look for places in the world where he's calling me to and begin to wonder, where is this place that you are calling me to? And the funny part is, I don't know about your spiritual life, the spiritual life uh, graph that we often think should be like this, right? Steady growth, consistent, we're good, everything's moving forward. Mine's not like that. I do this a lot, this, this, and then another bad day or another week, whatever. I'm all over the place. But I know that when I'm at one of these places, something amazing happens, And that is that in those moments, I look at the world differently. And maybe you know what I'm talking about. When I am in tune with God's will and who he has called me to me, when my mind is renewed and I am living in light of his mercy in all of life, at these moments, I look at the people around me differently. When I walk through Stater Brothers, instead of saying in my mind, as Scott would, get out of my way, I need to get to the SpaghettiOs, it becomes more instead of, Lord, how is it that you want me to pray for them, if only for a sentence? Lord, how is it that I can put another before myself? You only have a couple groceries, please go before me in line. Smiling at a cashier because she's having or he's having a tough day, instead of just getting my business done, walking out, driving down the street, looking at people in their front yards differently, I start to see who God is in others in a whole different way. When I'm here, when my mind is renewed, when I'm down here in Scottville, selfishness land, I miss that. And so when we think about God's will for our lives in everything, what we're talking about truly is tuning ourselves into God's kingdom in such a way that we are willing to submit everything, including a $50 birthday check, unto the Lord saying, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven through me. I am submitting to God's plan and purpose. And in so doing, my antenna are much more tuned in 
to his will. And our next section, verses 3 through 8, begins by saying this. Or we're starting to understand a little bit how we submit, how our minds are renewed. It starts with this, verse 3. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgments, judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. I've shared with you before that one of my big sins, easily one of my biggest, if not the biggest sin that I struggle with, is the sin of pride. I think I'm pretty awesome sometimes. I can get in that mindset. I got a smoking hot wife. I got three great kids. I got a job that I love. I got two cars. They run. They're not great, but they're, they work. I, I, I got a lot. I got good friends. I got people who care about me. I think I look good, generally. And I can get into that mindset of, boy, Scott, nice job. How amazing your life is. Or how good you've done for yourself. And I'll tell you the problem. The problem is, is that I've quickly forgotten the moment that I was absolutely destroyed, down on my knees saying, God, I can't fix this because my relationship life is a mess. And God showed up, and a week later, Kristen and I went on our first date. That was a gift of God. Not because Scott's awesome, but because God's awesome. And then my kids, lots of stories there, over and over again, where Scott, the father, failed where Scott the father messed it up and God the father showed up and redeemed it. The struggle that I have is that I do not often think of myself with sober judgment because I can become awfully arrogant. And the reality is, is that I am desperately in need, just like you, of God's mercy because in and of myself, I will constantly mess it up. I've shown a good track record for that. And God has shown a great track record for redeeming it and taking it back according to his will, his plan, his purpose, his mercy. And the reality of it is when Paul is calling us to having a renewed mind within the community, we look around at everyone here and say, guess what? We're all in that boat. Without Jesus, you're a mess. Without Jesus, you're a mess. Without Jesus, you're a mess. I'm a mess. We all need the mercy of Jesus Christ, which means we're in this together, equally on equal footing. And then verses 4 and 5 give us some big thoughts that we can quickly miss. First of all, a big thought, it's very simple, we're different some more different than others. Mark Leonard, off the charts different. Really off the charts different. Praise God for that, though. Praise God for that. Because that difference and distinctness brings something to the kingdom of God that without those differences, we would miss. 
beyond that, we also come to understand that since we are different, God doesn't call me. Even though I might respect Richard Smith a ton. You're a good guy, Richard Smith. And I might think, boy, I want to be just like God has called Richard Smith to be. The problem is, is I'm not a very good Richard Smith. He is. God has called me to be a good, through the grace of Jesus Christ, Scott Algersma, and called Richard to be a great Richard Smith through the grace of Jesus Christ. So my job is then to explore who God has made me. Certainly some of the things that Richard does that help him become a follower of Jesus Christ, the spiritual disciplines, prayer, reading scripture, caring for others, giving unto others are things that I can learn from. But within that distinction, God calls me to explore who he's made me. You are unique in the kingdom of God. Do not try to be like another part of the kingdom of God. Try to be, in view of God's mercy, a living sacrifice dying to self to be your part of the kingdom of God. Who God has made you. And the second thing is, is we belong to each other as one body. I belong to you. You belong to me. That's how it works. We are together, united as the body of Christ. It means that when we talk about Tessa Joy being baptized, and Tessa is part of the family of God, that we, Tessa belongs to us. Sorry, Kara, but she's not just yours. She's all of ours as the family of God, which means that we can love into her, encourage into the family, support them. We can, as God wills it and calls us to it, correct as well. Be reminding Tessa of that, that blessing even that she received as she's not a harvester of joy in life. You know who you are. You're a harvester of joy in the world around you. That's who God has made you to be. Come back to that if correction is needed. It means that you're not on your own. The Jones family is not on their own today or in the weeks or months to come. Those who are struggling, those who are burdened by addictions, those who are hurting, those marriages that are struggling, those are our marriages. And we're united, belonging to one another to support, encourage, pray for, and love into those things. If you're simply a spectator here at the river, step up. Belong to each other. Don't just sit back and wait to be a part of what God is at work doing here because then you're missing who God has made you to be as a member of the body of Christ. You're a cell not doing your job. And I pray and hope that God encourages you, strengthens you, and equips you to that calling to be engaged with your own unique gifts and who God has made you to be. And as we think about these gifts, Paul uses one phrase that reminds us that growing, not seeing stagnant, is important. What do we hear in verse 6? It says this, We have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then what? Prophesy in accordance with your faith. 
So it means that if you have the gift of prophecy, the first time you prophesy, then you should be prophesying according to your faith in that moment. But what Paul is reminding us here is that faith is the qualifier. And does faith stay the same? Is your faith the same that it was when you first knew Jesus? I hope not. I hope that your faith has grown. And if your faith has grown, then your ability to prophesy into that of faith has grown too. So for us to be reminded that growing in faith, if faith is the, the caveat, the, the, the dependent factor on our gifts becoming more than what they are now, for us to grow in faith, how do you do that? How do you grow in faith? Well, it means you step out in faith. You don't learn except if you do. So live into faith. What does that mean? Well, maybe if, let's think about giving generously. It's one of those things that's mentioned, right? Right near the end of verse 8. If you can give, give generously. And you are a giver. You've given much. You've given time. You've given energy. You give to the church a check or you give to other ministries checks. And there is, there is a number that you give faithfully. And it's a, it's a great number. It's a beautiful. But maybe to grow your faith, God calls you to raise the number. Not to raise the number so that another organization gets more money. But to raise the number so that you have to live into a place where God has to provide more. Where God has to show up in your life. And then God affirms your faith by being that God of provision. Maybe when it comes to leading. That's one of my gifts is leadership. God has given me that gift. And praise be to God, he's grown me into that. How? Because there are times when God tests my ability to lead. So what is it that I do? Is I think, okay, Lord, this is a place in an area you, where you want me to lead into. I don't understand that. I don't know what that looks like. But I'm going to do it trusting that you will show up in my gifts to bring us to where you want us to go. That's where faith grows our gifts. I think about this church that we're talking about, a plant on the north side. That freaks me out. I've never done a church plant before. I don't know what to do. I haven't got it figured out. Every formula that I've read, it doesn't seem to fit us. So what are we going to have to do? We're going to have to walk it through in discernment on how God is showing up. And I have a prime role in that. So what do we do? We say, okay, Lord. I'm just going to go. It's the next step. Whatever that is, you open up the door. I'll walk through it, and we'll see what happens. It tests my faith. It freaks me out, and it scares me. But God shows up in that. And when God shows up, my faith grows. And if my faith grows, my ability to lead the gifts he's given me grows as well. Whatever your gift is, Grow in faith and understanding of who God has made you to be so that when the time comes for you to exhibit that gift in the kingdom of God, you have an ability to do that to a greater degree. Why? Because your faith is larger than it was before. If our gifts are connected to faith, then a growing faith increases our usefulness in the kingdom. Okay, so what? In light of all this, now, first of all, this, and be reminded of this always. Gratitude fuels everything you do. 
you and I live not in a world of living in obligation to God. We don't just live into the have-to world. We live into the get-to world. Why do we get to live for God? Because he's shown us his mercy in Jesus Christ. That says to me that I'm going to go out from this place blowing up my world for Jesus. Why? Because without Jesus, I got nothing. With him, I've got everything. Gratitude fuels everything. Second thing is that we live into holiness given by Christ. We become more tuned to what God is calling us to. As we have our minds renewed, living in gratitude for the mercy given us in Jesus Christ, and our minds are renewed, we get more of a sense of the world that we live in, where God is at work in it. We get into one of those peaks, one of those places here where we can see the world with God's eyes because our mind is renewed. It's not us in our own world, we've died to that self as a living sacrifice, and we're living into who Christ has made us to be. And finally, with our renewed mind, we are equipped to live in relationships with lots of different Christians that we belong with. And in those relationships, we grow together, and the kingdom grows too. The best way to live as a community together is to live into that renewed mind as God's people, that we are on equal footing. You deserve mercy, or you, you, check that. You have received God's mercy in the same way I have. So we are together united in love, and we have a responsibility to belonging to one another. Let me, let me say something that is for you personally. And this, this is for you personally. And I don't know the name of every single one of you here. I know the names of a lot of you, but I certainly don't know the names of everyone. But I'm really glad you're here. I'm thankful that you're here. Because if you weren't here this morning, something would be missing. Something would be missing that we would miss greatly. But because you are here, the part of the body of Christ that you are supposed to be fills its spot and it fulfills God's plan and purpose in the kingdom of God that here is at the river. I'm going to name one. There was a podcast this week. Savannah, Savannah, I'm really glad you're here. You belong here. Because when you come, you bring joy and life to this community. I had Nick tell me this week that she does, she's never been mean to anyone. She prays for even people who say mean things to her. What a blessing that we can all learn from. Savannah, you belong. And I'm really glad you're here. And if you weren't here, we would miss that. James Verhoeven, believe it or not, I'm really glad you're here. James and I have a unique relationship. We make fun of each other a lot. But when James comes, he brings a life and joy and something to in conversation with him. And he, he's intelligent as all get out and is a really good thinker. Thinker, James, I'm really, really glad you're here and you're, I'm a, you're a part of this. These first couple rows, there's a lot of people in here who've lived a lot of really challenging, hard life. 
There's a lot of folks who have had a lot of stuff that has gone wrong at different places. But guess what? I'm really glad you're here. Because you're here, you teach us more what it means to walk through challenges. You teach us about God's grace in a way that so many of us are so desperate to know more about. And here's another beautiful part. A lot of you bring color here that reflects more of a beauty of the kingdom of God, and we need that desperately. Thank you for being a part of what God is at work doing here. And that is true for each one of you here. You are unique. You, you may feel like you're isolated. You may feel like you're alone. You may feel like you're not a part of this. But let me tell you, as God wills it and God opens up doors, we become a part of something bigger as we engage with it. As we understand that God has given us mercy, since God has given us mercy, we can live in gratitude one with another in relationships of love, mutual encouragement. And it's not going to go perfect because guess what? We're a messed up, dysfunctional group of people. Really, we are. We know that. But God isn't. And when God shows up within us, it's really, really, really beautiful stuff. And that means that all of us are a part of that. As you go, as you go from this place this morning, fueled by the grace offered you, the mercy offered you in Jesus Christ to go live as a part of the kingdom where he has you to be, go knowing you don't go alone you go with the people here who you belong to. You go as part of this body that prays for you, supports you, encourages you. If you're another part of another body, then they're, they're a part of you too. But we're really glad you're here because you bring something. And in some ways, you're a part of us because the body's a whole lot bigger than just the river. We trust that God has a plan and a purpose for you wherever you are. Go from this place fueled by the grace of Jesus Christ to be a faithful part of the body with a renewed mind that sees the world the way God sees it. And as such, we see his kingdom come on earth.